Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week we bring you a new idea, however big and bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host and my dad, Ryan Scott. My friends, my Big Ed Idea friends, um, it is great to be with you once again for episode 52, um, which is stinking crazy to say, 52. Um, I have had the chance to meet 51 um, and now 52 amazing personalities in the Edgesphere. Um, We have got an episode for you this evening um, or this morning, whatever you're listening, that I think you're really, really, really going to like. Um, this guy and I met uh, several months ago on the Twitter sphere, and um, he's got a lot to say, and you're going to want to listen. Um, his name, in, in, in case you don't know him, his name is Matthew J. Bowerman. Um, he has been an educator for 24 years, um, but you know, outside of education, this is probably his biggest role. He's a dad, um, and he's a husband. Um, He says that he has spent 24 years as a heart leader, um, working to support and engage students and communities. He is like me. He's an assistant principal, but he's way down there in elementary land in Montgomery County, Maryland. He's also a writer, and we're going to talk about that later, a speaker and a professional actor, singer, and dancer in theater, TV, and film. Um, Matt has taught special ed all forms of theater english and reading and this is the coolest thing and i cannot wait to get to this um he is an emmy and a sign golden eagle awardee for his short film bus stop which addresses the bullying crisis um so wow like this guy is a big deal so matthew thanks for being on the big ed idea podcast Ryan, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I don't know how to follow up that intro. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here and honored to join the other uh, 51 to collaborate with you today. Yeah, absolutely, man. So like 24 years, um, I, I bet you've seen quite a bit in education. I have, uh, I have been very, very fortunate to be a, a part of a tremendous journey over that time. I have taught um, college, oh, um, cool. um, high school, um, and middle school, and then many years in my summers in elementary, and then formally um, as an administrator, um, one year in, in middle school, and, and then the rest now four other years in, in elementary, um, learning a lot about the elementary world. Um, so it, it has been a, a really Experience. amazing adventure, collecting a lot of, a lot of stories, uh, meeting a lot of amazing, hardworking people, uh, tremendous families and communities and, and, and really collecting a lot of beautiful, um, beautiful stories. You know, um, it's funny. I, I did the opposite. I spent 12 years in elementary land and then I, this is my third year in high school land. Um, and I know it it was definitely, um, a shift. Um, not so much the kids cause kids are kids. Um, I always say the high school is just kids that can shave. Um, <laughs> so like I, I, Really quickly, I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective going from the high school to the elementary, like um, maybe what surprised you? So you know, at that high school level, there is so much that 
that the children have been impacted by that has really shaped how they perceive and understand the world. And at that high school level, they're really able to, you know, actualize their decision making yeah, sure, as sure. adults and, 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 you know, act and act on all of that. So finding them at that elementary level, there's still so much that they're unaware of. Their curiosity exists at such a kind of hyper elevated level that's almost magical. Um, and I, I have found myself because I really, um, that really speaks to me, that imagination, that curiosity, um, that deep desire to learn and explore and, and be okay with risk taking and failure at that elementary level has always appealed to me personally so much. And, and seeing, um, seeing what life and at times, you know, the, the negative effects of, of schooling um, have on our high school students. I've been really trying to like, to bottle all that beautiful lightning at that elementary level to try to continue to- Absolutely. To, to, to amplify children and help them know again and again, that it's okay to, to be that curious, to be that, that free-spirited and, and interested and, and unsure of themselves in, in finding ways to, to explore and to fail and make mistakes. Um, and, and, and just seeing uh, that level of passion around all of that um, and realizing just how much can be lost, just how much is at risk in that process from children at three and four years old in schools up until, you know, when they hit, yeah, right. you know, they're 14, 15, 16, you know, and yeah. up into that high school, just, it just helps for me. It just continues to remind me that we have far more responsibility. And I've talked about this before um, on some other opportunities. We have so much more responsibility than we do have power. No one yeah. cares about yeah. letters behind names and, and years of experience when it comes down to like getting down deep in the trenches with children and fighting and advocating for them and trying to drive their abilities and empower them. But there's so much responsibility that we have um, when you see, or when I have for myself personally seen just how much can be taken away from kids how, how much that can be lost in, in those years. And so being in elementary now, I've just seen, you know, just felt and found from families and from children and their stories, just how, how critical uh, this time is and, and, and how, um, how important it is our responsibility that we have in these leadership positions um, to be mindful and intentional in all of our interactions with them around all of that. Well said. Yeah, well said. There's definitely a magic in the elementary. Um, and uh, it's for whatever reason, kids sometimes lose that as they progress in our, you know, our system. And, and one of the things that I'm very passionate about is how we get that back at the high school level. Um, so, okay. So we are going to get rolling with this big ed idea stuff. And in the first segment, I always like to talk about is just what's going on at your house, what's going on at my house. Um, you know, just because we are just, let's be honest, we're just two normal dudes um, yep. that just happen to be in this thing called education. And so, <laughs> okay, so here's what's going on at the Scott House. Um, so when I record these, I record these most of the time on Sunday evenings. Um, and so, you know, that, that that's usually gives us time that we have been able to spend Saturday and Sunday together as a family. Um, this weekend, we had a good old fashioned hayride. 
at my in-laws. Um, went over to their house, cooked hot dogs over an open fire, and then hooked up the hay wagon and drove the hay wagon down the road, down some gravel roads here in Western Kentucky. Um, and I don't know if you know what this is out in Maryland, spotlighting for deer. So we, you get um, a flashlight and you go out in the field and you shine it to see if you can see their eyes. Um, it was cold as heck, um, but my girls and, and our nieces had an absolute blast. Um, so that's what we did this weekend. Mr. Uh, Matthew, what, what was, what's happening at the Bowerman household this weekend? Um, in the Bowerman household, we are uh, also, you know, make, make as much room as we can on uh, the weekends for family. Uh, we kicked off around uh, <laughs> early morning on Saturday around 7 a.m. to get ready for my son's, my four-year-old son's final t-ball game of the season. Oh, yeah. Um, That's always so hilarious. Oh, yes, it was a good time. I was out in the field helping him. Um, he gets a little nervous, a little anxious around all the sure. things going on. And so uh, trying to help be out there uh, as well with the rest of the team. Um, and that led into um, uh, an hour later, triple header. Um, <laughs> my daughter, my 10-year-old playing three field hockey games oh, cool. in the tournament as she finished up her season. My wife, um, my just phenomenal human being of a wife, uh, Christy, she was the coach also. Um, so she was coaching the team I had, um, on the sidelines, I was cheering with the, with the four-year-old and the baby, the eight month old, um, the 14 and 17 year olds decided to stay home and sleep and help yep. out with a couple of things that, at home. And of course, Sounds as you mentioned, right. blistering cold here, blistering cold here too. Yes. Um, and you mentioned something that's a great little connection, Western Kentucky. Okay. Um, my daughter, my oldest, and I mentioned to you, my 23 year old, uh, before we were chatting about, she is also in Kentucky as well. Um, UK grad, okay. um, go big blue. Yeah. And so she was, she was there for undergrad and grad. So she's in, in Louisville, um, out there. Wonderful town. Wonderful town. Yeah. So it was packed, you know, we we're busy with the family. We, we wrapped up tonight with, with, a with game night, um, playing some headbands and some Uno and some other things and trying to wrestle through the chaos of, of nighttime. I think at this very moment, the four-year-old is still singing and calling <laughs> from the top of his lungs upstairs. Fortunately, he's on the third floor and I'm down here in the basement hiding out. Right on, man. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So uh, <laughs> one of the things that I love to do with this podcast is get to know, you know, get to know my folks. Um, I, I think you would agree with me. Life is all about relationships. Um, and so, you know, having the opportunity to get to know you um, is always something that I try to do. Um, and so I've got two questions and I'm going to ask you that have literally nothing to do with education, just to get to know uh, Matthew Bowerman a little bit better. So my Love first it. question, um, what would your dream home look like? Hmm. I like that. It has to have a wilderness and water near it. Um, has, has to have wilderness and water, um, and a view of the, you know, a view of the sky as, as, as far as the eye could see. Beautiful. That's, a um, something that, uh, you know, speaks of, of, of serenity and calm and, and a little, and, and away from the, from the overdevelopment and the hustle and bustle, um, something with room for the kids uh, to trampoline and run and play and, uh, you know, stretch their minds and imaginations and bodies, um, a basement for the, for the, <laughs> for the a finished basement for the cold winter times and 
a big eating area, big, big kitchen community area where we can break bread together and just spend time laughing and crying when needed and just talking and having a good time around the, around the dinner table. But, um, you know, space inside to run and play and make a mess and clean it up and do it all over again. But some were just tucked, you know, nestled into a very kind of tranquil, tranquil and peaceful, calm place. Wow. That, that is so, okay. Yeah, that's beautiful. I live on uh, five acres and our house is right in front of a Creek. So like literally we have the water, we have the um, wilderness, like you talked to talked about um, my ideal home would be a Frank Lloyd Wright home. Um, oh, nice. Gosh, the one he's got one that he literally built over a stream. Um, the stream runs through the living room. Like, that would be my dream home. Um, That's awesome. Next question. What is one goal that you are currently working towards? Uh, finish my doctorate Sweet. in uh, educational leadership with a focus in uh, anti-racist uh, policy. Nice. That's on my bucket list. I'll get there. I'll get there one day. <laughs> All right, my friend. No, no, I, I definitely, that's something on my bucket list, but um, you know how, you know, you've got six kids. I've got four. There's not a lot of time, extra time. No, there's not. And finding the balance for all of it to begin with is, is, is a really challenging thing. Yep. Yep. I could, yeah, I'm really bad at going full steam on everything. Um, yeah. All right, my friend, do you have any questions for me? Oh, I do. I do. I'm ready. Uh -oh. So um, the, the first thing I'd like to ask, because I'm fascinated by people's stories and and really what shapes them and their process and in, 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 in their heart. So when you look at where you are now as a leader and think back in kind of a reverse tra trajectory of what what moved you, what shaped you, what, what guided you, um, could you tell me about one one person or one moment that kind of defined your calling for you that really set you in motion to where you are now? Yeah. So um, I've talked about this before. So I was not going to be an educator. Um, I pretty much just was just living. Didn't really have any direction um, as a 20, 21, 22 year old. Um, and found out that I was going to be a dad at 22, pretty unexpectedly. Um, not at a time when I needed to be. I was doing all of the wrong things, um, all of the wrong su substances, living the life that definitely I should not have lived. Um, and I always say my oldest daughter, uh, Madison, she was, and this is funny, I've said this before on my podcast, but for a while I called her my best mistake. And then I, I was talking to a student in my office one day, talking about my story. And uh, I said that, and she said, Mr. Scott, she said, you should not say best mistake. You should say happy accident. And so now I talk about my daughter, my oldest, as my happy accident. Um, when I found out I was going to be a dad, um, I knew very quickly that I needed to grow up. And um, I, I learned very quickly that I was not the most important person in the world anymore. And so I was looked, I was like, well, I need to finish college. Because at that time, let's see, I was 22. I had been to 
three, two different colleges. Um, I had majored in marine biology. I um, majored in creative writing with a focus on poetry. Um, I had dabbled in communal utopias, had studied some stuff on that kind of stuff. And um, I knew there was a community college here in town that had an education department. And I was like, I know teachers have the summers off. Um, it's a really good, um, it's a really good profession for someone that wants to be a dad because you have a lot of time, you know, with your family. And I say that because my mom was in education. So that's kind of, so I, I laughingly, I say I chose education for the summers off, um, which sounds really bad, but when you dig in, there was a reason behind that. And so I would say, yeah, my oldest kind of set me in motion um, in this education world. And, and I'll be honest, I tried to leave education twice. Um, I applied for the police force here and was going through it. And then I got, actually, I got full custody of my oldest daughter. And that was kind of my sign that um, I needed to stay where I was, that I, I didn't need to make another, you know, a change or whatever. And then um, several years later, after I had married my wife, who is awesome and amazing, uh, I had applied for our state police force and was going through that. And she became pregnant. And she's like, Ryan, you are not moving to the other side. We are not moving to the other side of the state. So I did not go into that. I stayed in education. And so... Um, I say all of that because I definitely found where I'm supposed to be. Um, I don't think I would have if my happy accident hadn't happened. So I hope that answered your question. Definitely. I, I got to pump my own mental break from it. The, the, the synergy button is ringing in my head because 22 years old, I as well became a father for the first time. Oh, wow. I didn't expect it to happen. Um, that also led me on a similar course. I was also in law enforcement. Oh, as well for right year. on um, here in Maryland. Um, my father had been in law enforcement for about 33 years and I, it was a profession I thought, but I, I stepped away from it to become mm -hmm. a teacher knowing a, a lot of things about the profession. And I don't have anybody in my immediate family, but um, just some kindred spirit moments there between us. So right on, man. It's so I'm cool to hear for those connections. Okay. So for my second question, what I would like to ask is when you think about your career thus far, where you are and, 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 you know, what you're thinking about for your next, you know, evolution, et cetera. What would you say in the overall picture of you as a leader has been your finest moment? Okay. So do you want as a leader or as a teacher? Uh, um, your choice. Your okay. choice. Okay. So the, the, the time when I'm most proud is when I was actually in the trenches. Um, you know, we talk a lot about administrators and stuff being the lifeblood of our, you know, let's be honest, the people that really make the school are the educators. And so my time as an educator, I really want to, you know, I, I had some awesome experiences. Um, but this one, so the, for two years, I had this principal, well, I had him for six years, but um, he gave me the opportunity. Um, he was a very outside the box thinker, very forward thinker. Um, and he came to me knowing I was the same and he posed this idea to me. Um, the school that I was at, the kids K through five switched classes every single day. He had this idea of taking a small group of kids 
giving them to me all day. So, you know, departmentalized, we wouldn't be, or not departmentalized, but um, whatever the word is, I can't remember right now. Um, they would stay with me all day. And they were affectionately, we called them the crack kids um, because they were falling through the cracks in traditional school, in traditional third grade. So these kids were too high. They weren't being labeled or they, they didn't qualify for an IEP. They were too um, low to be in the regular class. They were falling behind. And so we wanted some individual attention to these kids. And so he gave me 12 kids. I affectionately called it the 1199 Academy. Um, that was our address, 1199 something. And he went out and made me this huge banner. And I turned my room into almost like, um, I tried to make it into a job. Um, every single morning when the kids came in, I told them Monday through Thursday, I wanted them dressing up. Friday um, was dress down day. And, you know, it was a very poor school, 97% free and reduced. So the kids didn't have tons of dress up clothes, but they wore something nice Monday through Thursday. Um, every single morning during circle time, I would tell the kids the same thing every single day for the entire year. I told them that they were picked hand chosen for an experiment to see how much a kid could learn in one year and that they were chosen because we did some type of tests and they were the ones that could learn the fastest and they were the brightest and the hardest workers of third grade. And I've told them this every single day. I used a phonics program from 1975 um, and essentially we rocked and rolled for two years I had two different two different um, groups of kids and just with I guess my big idea with them was that I was going to teach them to believe in themselves so we um, celebrated everything. We had tons of fun. We listened to music all the time. Um, like I said, I, I tried to build that growth mindset in them. Um, and at the end of the year, both years, we had kids that were a majority of them were scoring 30 to 40 points high, higher on their map scores from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And I, I think a lot of that is because of the belief that the kids learned or that we were able to instill in them um still to this day i have i talked to those kids um i actually had a parent call me or talk to me a couple weeks ago she's wanting to move her son from the district where my student where my kids go to school to the district where i teach just so that they could hopefully get to have me again in high school um but yeah, those two years like totally, totally changed my belief and, and really cemented my belief in connections before content. That was a fine, fine moment. <laughs> it was. It was phenomenal. Um, I, I always wanted, I, and for two years, I looked for these. I tried to find old uh, time clocks because I wanted my kids to punch in and punch out when they came into the classroom just to reinforce the idea um, I always told them when you step into the classroom, it's time to get to work. And so we got to business and I didn't ever find one, but I've still got this idea. I would love to do it for my, even my high schoolers, just when they walk through the door, they punch in, they kind of cements that idea that I'm here to work. Uh, but who knows? Cool. Cool.
All right, my friend. Um, so now that you know me and uh, we are eerily similar um, and you've already heard my story of how education found me, um, I'm extremely interested now in how education found Matthew Bowerman. Well, um, so my parents, uh, my birth parents are in service professions. My mother was a trauma nurse. Oh. My father was a, in law enforcement, um, various elements of law enforcement from secret service to um, the head of homicide, a street cop, a detective, et cetera. Um, and I grew up around seeing them work on the bodies and minds and lives of other people in very deep, deep ways. Um, and I myself really grew up in the performing arts as a young, young male dancer and singer and performer loving to kind of uh, entertain other people and make other people happy and kind of provide this opportunity for others to step outside their lives and kind of disappear into this you know, magical place in a play or we need that show, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And um, so there was always that piece of me um, that wanted to give, that wanted to you know, offer something to other people and be a part of something collaborative to create with other artists in order to share those things with people. Um, and seeing my parents so selflessly kind of attached to triaging damage in the world, um, you know, fighting to slay the monsters, you know, out there, whether it be through medicine or, or crime um, in their respective cases. Um, I always have kind of a, a developed and probably overdeveloped sense of right and wrong and justice and social justice and kind of activism and combined with the arts, it, it really led me by the time, like we talked about before I was 22 and, and, and a father, um, that I realized that the, the, the need to leave a legacy for my own children of what their father is and was and was going to be needed to continue to be about doing the very best I, I could in the world for as many people as possible and trying to serve from a lens of, of goodness, of kindness, um, and, and of, of providing something that was a true service for others in a way that was going to make a difference, you know, some kind of significant significant difference in the world and you wanted um, to change the world been, yeah i mean certainly um and and i had been doing camps for years um running them and and teaching elementary middle and high school children the arts and teaching lots of teaching dance music voice acting lots of that work and so it was always kind of in my blood of, apart from being a performer and loved school loved love learning um but um, that opportunity kind of clicked and I sold myself in a moment to a, a principal who was looking for a teacher when I heard about an opportunity and I went in and I per literally performed a section from a chapter from called the wild from Jack London's book. Oh, wow. I acted out my monologue, half the story. I did a whole book presentation and how I could engage kids and keep them engaged and keep them coming back to the classroom. And they were like, they were sold on it and I was, That's you know, cool. blessed and lucky enough to like enter the education profession at that point, right in early 1998 and um, never looked back from the concept that this is what I'm called to. This is the service I want to be a part of. This, this, this thing 
that I want to keep on getting better at in my practices and philosophies around like working with kids, being with kids, helping children to do, to do for them what, what did or didn't happen for me in my own story and my own trauma background, what I could do to try to support and guide them and love them forward and success and empowering them, all those big ideas. Um, I've continued to try to elevate in my own reflection and, and practice and then continue to try to try to bring and it's 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 stuck it's stuck hard and it's been my love uh you know ever ever since then amen man it's uh it's one of the the most noblest professions um we definitely you know if i feel like if we if we look at it as a purpose it makes the hard days easier um not easy i'm very you know i very clear on that it is not easy to be a teacher but if you know you're there for a purpose it makes those hard days bearable. Um, specifically, um, I go into school every day looking for God winks. And every single day that I go in, I find them. Um, whether it's the, the high school student that just, you know, just asks me how I'm doing. Um, if it's the high school kid that writes me a cheesy letter with um, some Halloween jokes, um, whether it's you know, whatever, they're there. Um, and I think sometimes we have to Sometimes we just got to open our eyes because they're right there. I agree hundred percent. Absolutely. So you have been in this game for 24 years. So obviously you've seen the ebbs and the flows of education and, you know, um, pre um, no child left behind and no child left behind then at earth, whatever we're at now. Um, so I'm interested, you know, this is the big ed idea. Um, and as such, we try to connect the visions of one with the passions of another. Um, Simon Sinek says it really good. Not everybody's got to have the vision. Um, sometimes it just takes one person's vision to latch on with somebody else's passions. And that's how you get some movement um, going. And so I'm, I'm curious what you see as the problem in education that your idea hopes to solve? I think there are a variety of things that are significant challenges to Western education that have been pervasive uh, since its, you know, its inceptions in this country. I mean, I I would say, you know, the pandemics of COVID and race have certainly laid bare some significant issues. One of them being that the this, you know, the systemic marginalization of, of communities of color and indigenous communities, you know, for hundreds of, of, of years. Um, and that is a, a, a deeply disturbing problem that I know there are more allies and accomplices than there's ever been before in this current age that we're in um, to help push back the tide of that prejudice, prejudice and, and bias and racism. And there's massive movement in cultural responsive education and, and, and anti-racism work and e- equity work around all of that. So that is, for me personally, that's a big passion project, a big um, focus of, of a lot of the work I do. And embedded in that, there are other pieces that speak to other, other issues um, that, that certainly um, exist. But I think for me, that is a, a significant uh, problem, a significant challenge because it affects every little bit of everything we do. You know, any 
inspired leader, current or, or past, who has spoke about education always comes back to these concepts of, you know, freeing the mind, liberating the soul, unleashing potential, all these big, powerful yeah. um, verbs, but they're always attached to something that speaks of freedom. But the issue is this country is shackled, you know, the, to go with the, meta, the continue the metaphor, has shackled so many people for so long that there's just no possibility of truly unleashing that in, in any of us to the, to the kind of the heights that we really could have it or reach it, unless we are all a part of dismantling and destroying, you know, through our, through our activism work, through our policy, our, 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 um, our, our professions, our philosophies, our practices, and really, you know, putting an end to that white supremacist culture, to that, um, to, to anything that, you know, is- Marginalization. Um, Right, that is antithesis to anti-racism work and to just culturally responsive education that, you know, we're in this profession because we're called to serve children and families, not specific children and families, That's all exactly children right. and families. Very good. You know, of every color and creed, of every stripe, there's just no other way. And if you're not a part of that, there's an exit sign somewhere in one of these buildings for you to step out and step <laughs> away from. There's, there's just no other way around it. No, I, I, yeah, I agree. Get on the ship or get off. <laughs> yes. You're either with us or you're 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 running behind us. Um, okay, so what is okay? So if that is the problem, let's start talking about your idea. Um, we, you know, this is the big ed idea, and so our ideas hope to change the world of or through education. And so, what is your idea? Okay, um, <laughs> I like that. Okay, yeah. here we go. So I just, I, you know, I just feel the bring I it. feel the weight of it because there's so many of us out there doing this. So he, here it is. Let me frame it by saying this. Like, I loved as a child learning. I loved being curious. I loved imagination. I loved play. I loved interaction with anything, book-based stories, comic books, heroes, legends, myths, folktale, everything. I loved learning. And I used to keep these little notebooks where I would draw um, I'd study books in the library about Egyptian hieroglyphics and draw oh, pyramids. Me and just too. Always, me too. There you go. But I always believed in a world so much bigger than and greater than myself, an adventure, an opportunity on a ship or a wagon, you know, or whatever it was that would take me somewhere across the world. The issue was I was also struggling with a lot of things. I was um, in, in that story. Also aligned with that was a significant trauma story that followed me um, of a fixed physical and sexual nature, as well as some significant learning disabilities that continue time and time again to throw up these giant concrete block walls around me and, and, and really caused me challenges along the way that led me now to where this big idea is. My, my big idea is from the beginning to the end, it's all about love. That's right. Authentic relationship, authentic love every day in every possible human way. That's the only single way to free us and move us forward in education. There's such a world of over testing and over assessment that we get away time and time again from the human factor that we're in the business of people and loving people and loving children and loving families. And when I say love, Sometimes people are like, whoa, that term, you got to be mindful of that. I'm mindful of it every day because I not only approach it in my practice, 
and check myself and my privilege in my practice. But in terms of what I'm acting out every day, that's that whole heart leading or love leading concept that there are all kinds of practical ways to love somebody, to, to prioritize staff, to love children and to support families in a love-based way that is of course ethical and morally sound and driven by um, data and pedagogy and practice and all these big educational terms. But from the beginning to the end of every day, it's all about love. If I had had someone back then in a classroom, someone in a leadership role who had loved me outside the violence of the story that was guiding me then, or had protected me or led me certain ways, it would have helped me in some significant ways avoid some things down the line. So what it's done now has led me in every day, like you look for the God winks, I look for every single singular moment to share love or extend love with the people that I'm engaging with on a daily basis. That's my building service worker who's outside cleaning in the morning to walk up and say, these That's windows, right. That's right. they look freaking amazing. Or to stop that child who's outside the minivan crying because they're having trouble coming into that school day, to go take off my jacket, sit down on the road next to the car and just chat with them for 10 minutes and the parent who's also losing their mind over the situation. <laughs> or to sit and talk with the staff member who recently lost a family member to COVID and to say, hey, I'm gonna get coverage for you. Take the rest okay. of the day. I'm okay. loving you to success. In any single way I can, it's the only way that our profession can survive outside this pandemic moving forward. It's the only way we can continue to elevate our work to the future of what our children, you know, need us, you know, for um, in this work. So that that is that is my you know <laughs> my personal mission, my personal calling, my personal megaphone to all of my colleagues out there doing this beautiful work, this critical, great work of ours, who also understand this concept. It's all about authentic relationship, all about authentic love every day that trumps every single thing um, outside of every it. That is, that is the key. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, yeah. So goosebumps. Um, yeah. Because I could not agree with you more. Um, unequivocally, I believe everything you just said has the potential to radically transform our system. Um, if yes, I, yes, I completely agree, man. Love, 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 love. Um, I tell my high school kids every day. I love them. Um, every day. Um, and I'll tell you, it's hard when you love your kids, especially last week we had a student pass away. Um, a junior little junior girl that I had talked to just a couple of weeks ago. And um, you're right. I'm sorry for the loss for your community and for, for their family and, and for all of you. I appreciate it, man. It's really, it, it's hitting me hard and it's hitting some of our kids hard too. Um, but no, you're exactly right, man. We, we, we are in the bit, look, I, we are in the business of service. We are in the business of taking care of our people. Um, and I, and I just think if, like you're saying, if you put love first, everything else, everything else will come. And I think now this is just Ryan Scott, my opinion. I think we have been so focused on data and so focused on content and so focused on lesson plans. We have, if, if we're not, if we're not careful, we're going to give our profession over to computers. Um, and what I think this pandemic, at least for me, has shown us is that a computer cannot 
bring the love and the connectivity in the relationships that our kids desperately need. I agree. Nothing can replace those children or families looking up at that school, driving by it or showing up at it and knowing that you're there to safeguard them every day to a successful place, academically, social, emotionally, whatever it might be. And that you also will walk away from those four walls and show up in their neighborhoods and their communities. Oh, and also sure. let them know this is this relationship, this, this love thing we've got going on is that no matter where you are, you know, whether you're, whether you're, you're the te in the teacher role or the administrator role or the paraeducator, whatever it is, that this thing we're creating, that we're working so hard to build, you know, that it's built in this whole love idea, you know, is grounded in the fact that you matter, that everything you have to offer um, is so important to me that I will do everything and anything I can at any time to encourage that, support that, empower that, you know, and find the time, the resources, whatever it is, um, you know, to help, help you move it forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, sometimes putting all of your energy can be exhausting. Um, it really can, especially, you know, when like, I don't know, it's exhausting, but it's worth it. It's all. I agree. Worth it. And Ryan, that point you make is really excellent, actually. And this is something for myself that I continually try to balance. I'm sure many of our colleagues do too. This work, my, my, you know, the big idea I, I'm sharing um, that's probably echoing in so many other people's heads and hearts can't also exist until first. And this took me a long time in my own personal life. It has to start with the self-love. Sure. You have to learn everything about who you are, what you are, and be be in a very evolved and honest, vulnerable, authentic place with self and really be okay with loving yourself for all of your fragility, all of your mistakes and failings, all of your passion and miracles, all of your strength and weakness in order to truly be that vulnerable, that honest, and that committed to loving, you know, staff and students and communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, this is a, this is a form, uh, a, a part of that love that I talk about sometimes with our staff. Um, for me, accountability is the truest form of love. And so for my students, um, like, look, I, this one girl, I, I've had to suspend twice this year. And last week, she wrote me the most heartfelt letter that I have received in a long time. Because she knew at the end of the day, I loved her. But part of love is holding somebody accountable. And so sometimes, so I want these people, people out there that are listening, don't get this mixed up. If you love somebody, you can still hold them accountable. We can still expect our students to turn in amazing work. We can still expect our students to perform at high levels. Um, we can still hold our kids accountable, you know, if they don't follow the expectations that you put forth in the room. Um, but for me, it's a little thing called tough love. Um, you can be tough on your students, but they got to know you love them. You, um, you can't have too much love or sometimes they don't take you as tough enough. You can't be too tough or they know, or they might think you're not loving them, if that makes sense. So it's a balance. It's a balance to me. Yeah. And that balance also comes from the relationship piece because any of that work, the tough love portion, the softer glove, you know, version of that loving them and supporting them, any, any variation on that concept still comes from, 
they're going to accept that tough love. They're going to accept that soft moment, whatever it is, because of the relationship that you deeply Amen. invested in from the very beginning, from their kindergarten year, from their kindergarten orientation, from the first time they ever came here or came to this country, or their parent was on the phone, or whatever that first moment was that you started to first cement and build that life with them. Amen. That will allow them to trust you to have all of that other stuff happening. And that's that's where the love really starts. I agree, man. And I know, you know, you're an assistant principal also. So I, I would imagine you have uh, teachers on your caseload. Um, and, and I kind of feel the same way with my teachers. Like I want my teachers to know I love them on a personal level. Um, I want to know their families. I want them to know, you know, what's going on in, in my household. Um, not because, I mean, for me, we're on the same level. Yes, I'm the guy that has, you know, the fancy office at the beginning at the front of the school, but we're on the same level. And if they know that I love and respect them, then if I have to have um, evaluative conversations, which I don't like, but that's a part of the job, um, hopefully they will take my opinions and feedback to heart and not as an attack. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. I think that when you're prioritizing staff and their wellness, their social emotional wellness, their lives, apart from the job that they have, then you're humanizing everything about their experience and letting them know that you're prioritizing them and valuing them as, as deeply important human beings in connection with you and making that school community work. And so to that end, those conversations, as difficult as they can be or have to be at times, are still coming from a place of love and that, you know, if it, if you didn't love them, you wouldn't be having those conversations. That's exactly you love right. them because you're trying to build their capacities and keep them, you know, growing in everything that they can do because you hired them for a reason and they have deep value and significance to the success of that school community. Well said. Very well said. So I've got to tell you, um, I'm a big Beatles fan and I just keep hearing in the background, all we need is all you need is love. Um, so I'm going to find some way to loop that into this episode. Cause I think it, it would fit so, so amazingly. Um, yeah, no, I agree. All we need is love. Um, I completely agree. It is all about love. You said that we are in the business of love. Um, man, just imagine, um, I keep, I keep thinking, I want to someday create a purpose-driven school where every single person in that building from the front office staff to the back, to the cooks, to the custodians, to the teachers, where everybody there, um, and I say it is everybody is there for a purpose and they know their purpose, but I'm going to go a step further into what you're saying. Imagine if we had an entire school that did nothing but love, love each other, love the students, love the parents, love the community. <sighs> imagine, just imagine what you could do. What a transformative place that would be. Man, that'd be great. Okay, so here's a challenge for you. You and your six kids, let's meet in the middle. Uh, so let's see, Maryland, Kentucky, uh, maybe Ohio. No, maybe, I don't know. We'll meet in the middle and we'll start our own school. I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> it sounds good. Okay, so Elon Musk, since you are the uh, richest man in the world, the history of the world, um, if you are listening to this and you want to throw two cats, um, I don't know, what do you think? Like a million dollars? I think that would do it. Yes. Yeah, send, send some love in the form of some, uh, some green love. 
That's right. That's right. Send it to us and we're going to get this thing going. Um, so Matthew, I'm going to start to wind us down this evening. Um, okay. We have talked about a lot tonight, a lot of stuff that needs to be talked. Um, but I've got a couple questions left. If people want to get a hold of you, what is the best way that they can get a hold of you? Oh, thank you. Um, I, I'd love to, to make a, a connection on, on Twitter and the Twitterverse. Of course, it's just at um, capital M, capital J, capital B for Bowerman, MJ Bowerman um, is my Twitter. Um, you're welcome also to jump on my website and send me a, a message at any point if you want to connect. It's just www.matthewjbowerman, um, like the middle initial J, matthewjbowerman.com. Um, um, I'm always available or always very interested in, you know, speaking or consulting or working with people or just having conversation. Um, and you can catch my, catch me there and we can start an email conversation as well, or from there, Google meet or zoom or anything else. However, I can, uh, kind of connect and support, but those are a couple of quick ways to get me. Excellent. So, uh, I talked about in the beginning that you had won an Emmy for a movie. So talk about, yeah, what is that movie? Cause we got to check it out. Um, so it's, uh, you know, not out in the universe of, of big distribution or anything like that. I was a, you know, teaching um, and working um, in my school and I got hired to work for the um, um, education channel for the school system writing content. Um, we had, we had determined that there was some significant needs with bullying in the system as there is across the country. I began to develop a series of content pieces um, for video, for film, on cyberbullying, on um, mob mentality, on just various types of bullying, bullying of teaching teachers um, by children, bullying of children by teachers, a oh, variety wow. of different right. interesting topics that had, you know, arisen in the news, and then, you know, creating content for those, and then directing those, um, and, and filming those with the um, education channel, and a colleague of mine, Jeff Lifton, who was just an amazing dude, but, um, at this one point, I created a piece called Bus Stop, kind of playing off the idea of a bus stop, but the word stop in the title is in capital letters. Um, and uh, a core group of my um, actors that I was working with in my program at the time, um, rather than hire other actors, these very skilled and, and, and wonderful young people volunteered to be a part of the piece. Um, I wrote a, a script for it. Um, we uh, film, I, I co-filmed and co-directed with the team for it um, on a bus, we set it. And it really occupies a space around a group of kids. They're on a bus and there's a kid who's, you know, like um, kind of sitting by himself playing a game. And some other kids begin to observe him, notice he looks a little different, seems a little different. They start to target him with some comments, begin to be a little bit more inflammatory. They move that to an aggressive level. Some kids notice it, but they turn aside. They notice it, but they don't say anything. And the kids launch themselves on him as, as often do in a predatory way, take his stuff from him, threaten him with, with violence. Um, and then it moves into this very um, kind of strong frozen moment where students begin to stand up on the bus in various places and sharing bullying statistics or bullying data around the violence that's been perpetrated in the country through bullying. Um, and then another core group of voices begin to emerge talking about when you see something, just stop stop no 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 around the bus trying to let you know that bearing witness to it 
is not just being a silent witness, but trying to get help or just standing up and telling someone, no, please don't do that. No, don't do that. Or getting you know, a bus driver, whatever it might be, um, to help in being a voice and giving a voice to so many of those children at every age level who have felt voiceless and helpless in those moments of bullying. Um, and so that's where the piece kind of, um, you know, carries through to its, through its, through its climax, to its, to its conclusions. The kids come forward and talk about just make a difference and put it and, and, and say no. Um, and then and it kind of ends with the, with the young man who was the victim of the piece, you know, you know, begging, please, before time hmm. runs out. Um, check it out. And it was, yeah, it was submitted, you know, I have it on my own in DVD. It was used in the health curriculum in, in the county system in Baltimore County Health um, Curriculum for a period of time. It was shown in some various places around nationally, but it was, um, I didn't even know about it. They, the, the channel submitted it. You know, I guess I was just very, you know, very fortunate. They submitted it to the, to the Emmys. Um, it was taken into the educational short film category, I guess. It worked its way through all the submissions. And then it was, um, I guess, competed against eight or 10 others. Um, we got invited, which is a really, really neat kind of thing That's to go cool. to. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it won. And I got a chance to stand up and thank my kids for all of their passion and drive and, um, and just be a part of that process. And yeah, it won, the, it won an Emmy that year in, in 08. And then it won a, a Cine Golden Eagle Film Award for writer-director as well. Um, that I that I won for that uh, that piece as well and and yeah then ever since then I've been doing other content and writing and just trying to continue to put the work out there and the messaging. Very very cool, excellent man. Thank so, you, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check it out. Um, what is this name of your book that you just had published? Um, so. Uh, that is a big thank you to Brian Aspinall and, uh, and Daphne McMenemy through Codebreaker, um, who are my uh, colleagues in my publishing company. They uh, currently have it in the editor's hands with Daphne. Um, it's called Heart Leader. Oh, okay. My book is called Heart Leader. And early on in my career, I've always been, through my own personal stories, very hyper-emotional and hypersensitive about many things. But people were always like, you know, you're that wears heart on his sleeve kind of guy. And one point, someone was like, you are the heart leader. You're always living with your heart right out there with everybody is vulnerable and it just always is stuck with me as my thing. And I've been working on the book probably for, I've been interviewing families and students for the book and teachers probably for like eight or nine years yeah. and collecting information. And then as my leadership work as a department chair and team leader, and then AP, et cetera, has happened. I continue to really shape the book over the last five and a half to six years. Um, so I guess it's been about eight years, nine years. I've really worked on the book um, and it, it is finished now. It's really a field guide, a K to 12 field guide for aspiring leaders, for current leaders and for anyone in the education field who's really interested in learning about what it means to lead from a love lens, to work from a heart lens and, and to be a, a heart leader in philosophy and then in operationalizing practical love-based work whether it be in family engagement and prioritizing families, whether it be supporting teachers in all of their work um, uh, or, or in the social, emotional and academic work of children's lives. Um, it's kind of part memoir, part field guide and part a whole lot of actionable like strategic tools to use um, in there. So it's really been a, 
an exciting here comes labor of love uh, excellent you know process for me excellent so you guys that are listening out there be on the lookout for heart leader you will want to you know obviously after this interview you will want <laughs> to check it out um you, so no definitely thank you uh matthew i'm gonna wind us down thank you so very much for being on the big ed idea this evening um it has been amazing it's great to to connect with someone that feels um, much as I do, you know, much like I do, that love is the centerpiece of this great big education system. So thank you very much. Thank you. I've been honored. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. So uh, as I always do, I'm going to wind us down with a quote on dreaming. And so for tonight, dare to dream, then decide to do it. And so for my big ed idea listeners out there, once again, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, man, you guys are amazing. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. If there is anything that you ever need, please do not hesitate to reach out. If you have a big ed idea, reach out. Or if you know someone that does, reach out. Um, and so like my grandfather, Big John Janoski, used to always say, until next time, I will see you in the fun. hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper. <laughs>